Good morning. I couldn't help but think about the message that the Lord gave us through Sister Joy this morning. Every person in here came in with some type of problem. Something's on your mind. And he said to us today, get your eyes off your problem and get it on me. That's for all of us. I, I couldn't help but think of, of Peter when he stepped out of the boat. As long as he kept his eyes on the Lord, he walked on the water. But as soon as he began to look at his circumstances, he started to sink. We lost probably one of the greatest theologians of, of our time recently this year. I don't know how many of you knew Tim Keller. Uh, he passed away uh, this, this week from cancer. And I read something briefly on an app that I have, and it said he gave a last message or a last email to John Piper, another well-known pastor. And it went so well with what the Lord spoke to us today. He said, tell the pastors, but it ain't just for pastors, it's for all of us. Don't focus on the work, focus on the Lord. And if we'll keep our eyes on him, and we'll keep our focus on him, and we stay in his presence, we're still going to have problems. There's things still going to come in our life. But we sure do face them a whole lot different. So the Lord himself spoke to us there this morning. That's why I love a church that allows the gifts of the Spirit. I can tell you a lot of things. I'm going to pray that God uses me and speaks through me this morning. But God himself spoke to us this morning. He encouraged us. And I hope that you will receive that. We're going to continue on with the series in the beginning that we've been doing for the last few weeks. Last week was Mother's Day and... The week before that, we started, look, I don't want to forget this. It's so good to have Judy Johnson with us this morning, isn't it? Judy, it's good to have you with us. <clears throat> and I want to thank Deanna and Worth for, for, for getting her and bringing her. Uh, Deanna and Worth are always so faithful to help out when, when, when we need them. And so uh, thank you, Deanna and, and you and Worth and Judy. It's good to have you. But, so, so we're going to pick back up with the series in the beginning. And a couple weeks ago, we began to look at the life of Isaac. And I shared with you that Isaac was kind of hard to preach on because there's not a lot in the Bible about Isaac. There's 12 or so chapters on Abraham and about that many on Jacob and a few more of that on Joseph, but only like two and a half chapters on Isaac. And as I looked at this and I went through it and I kind of struggled with it a little bit and thank goodness the Lord gave me something. As I looked at that, I, I realized that Isaac, like most of us in here, was just an ordinary guy. He was an ordinary man, and he was a busy man. His, his dad, Abraham, had passed away. He had inherited his death, which included cattle, farming, silver. And now he's starting to dig wells because the Philistines began to uh, fill in the wells that had been dug. And water was important then. We didn't have any water at the church Wednesday night when we first came in. We were all in a panic. I asked Teresa if she paid the bill. Thank goodness she had. But uh, we need water. And, and he's digging these wells, and the Philistines are digging them in. So he's just busy, busy, busy like we are. But it was in the midst of the busyness that the Bible said that he built an altar and called on the name of the Lord. And what I challenge you with is life will, will, will get in the way of what's most important if you let it. It will. You need to have some hard no's in your life. Set some times that I'm not going to let this busy life crowd this out. And we talked about the doctrine of the first fruits, how, it, how that's a doctrine with our finances, but it's also a doctrine with our time. 
And right after Isaac built that well and called on the Lord, that immediately after that, the king of the Philistines came to him and said, let's cause a truce here. Let's, let's call, call a truce. And a big part of his life that he was so concerned about was taken care of. So Isaac was a, was a busy guy. He was an ordinary guy. Well, this morning we're going to pick back up with that. I didn't finish that outline last week. And in point three of that, it said he was an ordinary man with an, ordinary, with an extraordinary blessing. He was an ordinary man with an extraordinary blessing. And we're going to deal extensively this morning with his blessing. But not just his blessing, but his family. I'm not giving out outlines anymore. Uh, you have in your bulletin some, a place for notes. If, if you're the type to say, look, I really do like that outline. If you let me know, I'll get you one. But this morning, I'm gonna, I'm, we're going to go back to school. Sometimes I think you remember more of what you write than what you just hear. So I'm going to get you to write down three things on your bulletin this morning. We're asking to refresh the pens, and so if you have one. The title of the message is A House Divided, and I want you to write three things. Number one is A Divided Home. A divided home. And you can leave a little space after that. A divided home. Next is a divided nation. A divided nation. And then lastly, and you can leave a little space after that one, and lastly is a divided theology. A divided theology. Now, I struggled with that last one. So if you want to put out in beside a divided theology, if you want to write a sovereign God, you can. Because how many of you know God's not divided in this theology? He's not confused about anything. But there's some things that we can't fully understand about God. There's some mysteries that we can't understand. And those are the places where we tend to disagree. Sometimes we can disagree without being disagreeable. At least we should be able to. There's some things that we debate. There's some things we can't understand. And we should be able to debate those things. But we see a divided theology. But if you have your Bibles or your smartphones, if you'll turn with me to Genesis 25, 19 through 28. Genesis 25, 19 through 28. I've been giving out the scriptures of which we'll be covering the week before. I hope you have a chance to read them. And so what we'll be covering is that passage of scripture. We'll also look at Genesis uh, 27 as well, the whole, whole passage. But I will summarize that for you. But Genesis 25, 19 through 28 reads like this. This is the genealogy of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham begot Isaac. Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah as wife, the daughter of Bethuel, the Syrian of uh, Padan Aram, the sister of Laban, the Syrian. Now Isaac pleaded with the Lord for his wife because she was barren, and the Lord granted his plea, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. But the children struggled together within her, and she said, If all is well, why am I like this? So she went to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb. Two people shall be separated from your body. One people shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. So when her days were fulfilled, for her to give birth, indeed, there were twins in her womb. And the first came out red. He was like a hairy garment all over. So they called his name Esau. Afterward, his brother came out, and his hand took hold of Esau's heel. So his name was called Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. So the boys grew, and Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field. But Jacob was a mild man dwelling in tents. And Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah 
loved Jacob. Now Jacob cooked a stew, and Esau came in from the field, and he was very weary. And Esau said to Jacob, Please feed me with some of that red stew, for I am weary. Therefore his name was called Edom. But Jacob said, Sell me your birthright as of this day. And Esau said, Look, I'm about to die, so what is my birthright to me? Then Jacob said, Swear to me as of this day. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. And Jacob gave Esau bread and stew of lentils, and he ate and drank, arose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you that these words, God, and these events that happened thousands of years ago are just as relevant for us today as they were the day they were written. You haven't left us, Lord, to figure this out on our own. You've left, you brought the very Holy Spirit with us. You've given us your written word, and you reveal all those things in your word through your spirit. And I pray, Lord, that each person here will have ears to hear what you have to say. Lord, that you would anoint me, that my words would not be mine but yours. In Jesus' name, amen. If there's one thing about the Bible that, to me that makes it very relatable, it's that it does not hide the flaws of its heroes. We've seen that. We've, we've, we've been going through this series from in the beginning, and we started with Adam and Eve, and we worked through Noah, looked at the fall, and we've been through Noah, and we've been through Abraham and Isaac, and we're starting to transition into Jacob. And other than Adam and Eve, you will find every one of these people that we'll be talking about in the hall of faith of Hebrews 11. If you'd like to read Hebrews 11 this week, you'll see every one of these people mentioned as heroes of our faith. They are our spiritual ancestors, which was the framework for this whole series. We talked about how important it is today to people to go and, and, and research their, their heritage. Well, this is our spiritual heritage. But it doesn't hide their flaws. And the same is true as we begin to look at Isaac and move into the, to the life of Jacob about the families. Because as we look at the family of Isaac, Rebekah, Esau, and Jacob, we're going to see they had some pretty significant problems. I know that in our social media world today, that we look out there and everybody's family is perfect. If you don't believe it, just go out on say Facebook. You'll see that everybody's got a straight-A student. Everybody's got a star athlete. Everybody's got a wonderful marriage. They go on wonderful vacations. And you look at that and you think, how come they have the perfect life and I don't? How is it that their life is so wonderful and mine's not? And we start to play the comparison game. We start to look at their family, compare it to our family. Well, I got news for you. If you could peel back the social media and take a peek in, you'd probably find out their family's just as messed up as yours is. That they got the same problems that you have. Our families are interesting. We love our families, but we get together sometime and we may talk junk about our families, but don't you talk junk about them. Same is true of our church family. I love my church family. We may get together and quibble sometime, but I ain't let nobody from the outside talk about my church family because we're not perfect. We have problems just like everyone else. And the same was true with Isaac and Rebecca. And that leads us into this divided home, to this divided home. Rebecca was barren. She had... Isaac had prayed that she would have a baby. She did. She had twins in her belly. And those boys were already fighting. They were already fighting in her belly. So she went to inquire of the Lord. What is going on? 
And he told her this. He said, there's two nations are in your womb. Two peoples shall be separated from your body. One people shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. He told Rebecca, he said, the older will serve the younger. That doesn't sound like a big deal to us today. That would have been a really big deal in her day. In the times of the patriarchs, the older brother was the one who got the family blessing. He is the one who would have taken over the family business, if you will. But God has told Rebecca, that's not how it's going to happen with you. The older is going to serve the younger. And what I took from that, folks, we have to understand, God is not bound by our customs. He's not bound by our boundaries. He's not bound by our denominations. I think sometimes we think we got to put God in our little box to get him to do something. God is not going to work within our little box. That's the same thing that Jesus was talking about in Mark 7. Mark 7, 7 through 9. I don't have this, Sister Christie, so don't. Don't freak out. When, when the disciples came to him and said, when, when the Pharisees came to him and said, well, look, why don't your disciples wash their hands? That was a tradition back then. They're supposed to, they had made all these rules. They had made all these regulations. Well, now, why don't your disciples wash their hands? And Jesus said, you know, the Isaiah said that you, you people would honor me with your lips, but your hearts would be far from me. He said, you have taken the doctrines of men and you've made them the commandments of God. They had all these rules and regulations to get to God. Jesus was saying, you don't get to me through rules and regulations. You don't get to me that way. He shattered their customs. God is not bound by our customs. I remember, and I don't know if you'll remember this, Sister Carol, but I remember a couple years ago we were sitting in the office and we were talking about our nation and what was going on. And Sister Carol said, you know, I don't know what's going to happen. She said, but I, I'm convinced or I think that if another revival comes to America, it's going to come through someone that we least expect. And isn't that God's pattern anyway? Doesn't he use the, the, the simple things to confound the wise? I don't know who God will use to send another revival. I hope he sends another revival. But the reality of it is it'll probably be something that we least expect. Most recently, I don't, I'm sure many of you, if you watch any news, you saw this. Y'all remember when Kanye West started coming out and talking about his relationship with Christ and all those things? I think he's, I think he's yay West now. You know, he's got to change the name. And I must tell you, I was very critical. I was like, come on, you know. But go out in the, in the social media world and watch what they were doing to the man. They were trashing this guy. And I'm thinking... Is God not able to use a man like Kanye West? What if it is Kanye West? Could it be Kanye West? Absolutely. God will use who God wants to use. God spoke through a donkey. When he gets ready to get our attention, he'll use who he wants to use. And it may not be who we think it will be. Because he is not bound by our customs. And he's not bound by our denominations. But these boys couldn't have been much different. Esau was the firstborn. He was red and hairy. Jacob was the secondborn, and he was smooth-skinned. Actually, Esau means hairy. And Jacob means, because when Esau came out, Jacob was holding on to his heels. So Jacob means the grabber. And it also means the deceiver. That's what his, word, his, his name means. Esau, their, their, their personalities were different. How many of you have two kids or more and you know their personalities can be very, very different? I have two boys. They're very different. They're a lot, of, a lot alike in many ways, but they're also very different. 
Esau was a rugged outdoorsman. He liked to hunt, fish, work with his hands, be outside. Jacob, he was an inside mama's boy. He liked to cook and clean. He was a domestic guy. They couldn't have been much different. Esau was impulsive. He lived for momentary satisfaction. And because of that, he was willing to sell his birthright. He was willing to sell his birthright. The birthright was important. It was mostly economic, but it was everything, every blessing of the family was part of the birthright. Economic, in this case, when you have a, a family like Isaac and Rebekah who had called on God, prayed God, everything that, that was in that family transferred to that first son, would have transferred to, that, to Esau because of his birthright. But Esau sold it. It generally went to the firstborn son. And he sold it for some red stew. Red. That's where he got the name Edom. Edom means red. But he just didn't sell it. In some ways, Jacob wasn't innocent here. Jacob manipulated him. He manipulated Esau. He, he seized on a moment when he knew he could manipulate and deceive Esau. Genesis 25, 31 says, says this about this incident. It said, but Jacob said, sell me your birthright as of this day. Now, most translations say that Jacob said, sell me your birthright right now. Because what has happened, Esau has come in, he's been hunting, he's tired, and he's hangry. Anybody else get hangry? I get hangry. Tammy says, I get hangry. And he's hangry, and he's ready to eat something. And he looks at Jacob and he says, give me some of that red stew you're cooking. And he says, sell me your birthright right now. Right now. Because he knew that Esau was in a position to make a bad decision. Folks, be careful about making emotional decisions. Be careful about making big decisions in a time of emotion, in a time of crisis, when you've just come out of something that's difficult. Very seldom in your life, if ever, will you have to make a life and death decision right now. You will have time. Don't make those types of large decisions off of emotion. But Esau did, and Jacob manipulated it. And because of that, he sold his birthright to him. And at the end of that, it says that Esau despised his birthright. He despised it. To despise it means he regarded it as worthless. He regarded it as worthless. And as I thought through this and I thought about Esau and I saw that Esau would go on, he would marry foreign women, he would do many things that were opposed to God and to the things of God. It made me wonder, was Esau at a point where he was already rebelling against the God of his home? Against the God of his home. A Jewish site that I like to study when I'm looking through things to try to get an idea of what the Jewish tradition may have been said Esau, in this case, may have been 15 years old. May have been 15. Don't know for sure. That means Jacob would have been 15. And there comes a point, I think, in every young man's life, and if, if for the older men out here, you may find, have found this true in your life, but we reach a point, men, where there comes a little bit of a butting of heads to our dad. We're starting to fill our oats. We want to become men. And there comes a natural sense of rebellion against the father. It happens. It happens. 
But what I want to caution you on, particularly if you're here today and you're 15 to 18 years old, or in that range, don't rebel against the thing that is most important to you. Because what can happen if you're not careful is you get into a spirit of rebellion and you say, you know what, I'm going to rebel against the very thing that I know is most important to my family. And that is their God. And I'm not sure that that's not what Esau did. And the reason being is if you look over in Hebrews 12, 14 through 17, it says this about Esau. It says, pursue, people with, pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord, looking carefully lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble. And by this many become defiled, lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau. You know, most translations there say a godless person like Esau. Who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. For you know that afterward when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. He, for he found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. And I'll cover that in just a minute. I'm just wondering, was Esau at a point, he didn't care anything about the family's inheritance. He didn't care anything about the family's God. And he didn't want anything to do with it. He despised the birthright. So what does the birthright mean to me? Sure, I'll sell it to you. And as I was talking about that this week, Brother Michael and I was talking about it, he reminded me of a young man by the name of Abraham Piper. I mentioned John Piper earlier. Abraham Piper is John Piper's son. John Piper is a well-known pastor. And Abraham Piper has become part of what they call the, the walk-away campaign or the, um, the denouncing their faith. And we see so many people in the younger generation that are denouncing their faith, just walking away from it. But not only do they do that, not only did Abraham Piper do that, but he takes to a YouTube channel and he mocks it. You can go find him and he just mocks his dad, he mocks the faith, he just makes a mockery of it. And it's got to be the only reason he wants to do that is he's trying to put a dagger in the heart of his father. And there's no doubt he's put a dagger in the heart of his father. I can't imagine that. I can't imagine my son rebelling you want to rebel against me, fine, but don't rebel against God. Because you might put a dagger in my heart, and it, it, what you hope to accomplish, you may accomplish. But make no doubt about it, that God that you're mocking, one day you will stand before Him and you'll give an account to Him. And then would the rebellion have been worth it? But He despised His birthright. It went on to say that Isaac loved Esau and wanted to give him the blessing and Rebekah loved Jacob and she wanted him to have the blessing and so all of Genesis 27 is about that blessing because everybody wanted that blessing but here's the thing God had done told Rebekah that Jacob was going to get it so this plan that gets concocted never needed to be concocted because Esau's getting old. He's about to die. The Bible says he don't see well. And so he tells his son, Isaac, I think Isaac's about to die, and he don't see well. So he gets his son Esau, and he says, look, go kill some game. Make me up some of that good stew that you know how to make. Bring it to me, and I'm going to give you the blessing. Well, Rebecca overhears this. 
So Esau goes out to hunt, and she tells her son Jacob, who she loves better, she says, look, go, go, go kill a goat, get some stew going. I'm going to cook some stew. You're going to take it in there, and you're going to get that blessing. And, of course, Jacob begins to ask questions. He's like, how are we going to do this? He's hairy. I'm smooth. You know, I, how's this going to work? She said, don't you worry about it. You let me worry about that. So they kill a goat. She makes some good stew. And he goes in to give it to him. What she does, she puts the goat skins on his hands because Esau's hairy. And then she takes some of Esau's clothes and she puts it on him so he would smell like him. And he walks in there with that stew to his dad. And he says, here's that stew you asked for, Dad. And even Jacob, I mean, even he, um, Isaac was like, how'd you do it so quick? How did you get it so quick? He said, well, the Lord gave it to me. Lie, deception, lie, deception. The Lord gave it to me. So he said, well, come over here. So let me feel you. He said, you sound like Jacob. No, I'm Esau. So he rubs his hairy hands and he says, come down here so I can give you a kiss. And he, and he smells him. And he's got that, that goat hair on his neck. Well, you must be because you're hairy like him. So he gives him the blessing. Shortly after, Esau comes in, makes up that stew, comes in and says, Dad, here's that stew. I want the blessing now. Who did I just bless? Who did I just bless? And he knows he's been tricked. Esau knows he's been tricked. And he begins to cry and he says, well, don't you have a blessing for me? So all of a sudden, this thing that really means nothing to him, all of a sudden means a lot to him. And he asks him, don't you have a blessing for me? And he gives him a blessing, but it's an inferior blessing to what he has given Jacob. Why all this? It was completely unnecessary. Rebecca didn't have to do any of that. She simply had to believe God. She simply had to go to Isaac and say, Isaac, this is what God has said is going to happen. And church, when God says something's going to happen, it's going to happen. And he was going to get that blessing. There was no need for all the deceptions and the lies And when we try to do things our way, Rebecca decided to do it her way. When we decide to do things our way and not God's way and not trusting Him, it makes a mess. We see that out today in our families with what people are calling a family. We see it in the gender confusion. We see it in all these things and the mess that it's making when we try to do things our way and not God's way. He was going to get that blessing because God had said He was going to get the blessing. They didn't have to work for it. And I thought about that with our salvation. We don't have to work for it. There's nothing we have to do. There's nothing we can do to be in a right standing with God. Simply come before Him, repent of our sin, and put our trust in Him. Because everything that we need has been done. God finished it. He said that on the cross. It's all finished. And we don't work for it. And Rebecca and Jacob did not have to work for that blessing. That blessing was decreed by God. So it was very much... A house divided. Because after that, the Bible says that Esau hated Jacob and he was going to kill him. He said, I'm going to kill him. He's deceived me out of my birthright. He's deceived me out of my blessing. And as a result of this, Rebecca would never see Jacob again. She had to send him away. He said, your brother's going to kill you. Go to, my, go to my brother. His brother wanted to kill him and the family was full of conflict. It was a home divided. And then there's a divided nation. A divided nation. God had told Rebecca, there'll be two nations in your belly. Two nations in your belly. 
Esau was the fa- would go on to be the father of the Edomites. Edom means red. That's where he got that name, Red Edom. He was a red complexion. He sold his birthright for a red stew. And many believe that where he did settle, it turned out to be a red country. And he was the father of the Edomites. They were closely related to the Israelites, but they worshipped foreign gods. And they were enemies of God's people. So for about 1,700 years, what God had said would happen to Rebekah happened. And after about 1,700 years, the Edomites were completely destroyed. And then there's Jacob. The nation that he would represent would be the nation of Israel. He was the one that God had said would carry on that blessing of Abraham. The blessing of inheritance, the blessing of land, and the blessing of a blessing. Two nations, the Edomites and the Israelites. A divided home, a divided nation, and then a divided theology. But really a sovereign God. It's in this theology right here, it's in this story of Esau and Jacob that many that the doctrine of election comes out of. And who does the choosing? Look at Malachi 1, 2 through 3. Malachi 1 through 2 through 3. This is the prophet Malachi talking from the Lord is talking through the prophet Malachi. He says, I have loved you, says the Lord. Yet you say, in what way have you loved us? And us is referring to the nation of Israel. He says, was not Esau Jacob's brother, says the Lord? Yet Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated. And laid waste his mountains and his heritage for the jackals of the wilderness. I think what will help you there, if you, if you transfer preferred for loved and rejected for hated, it would read like this. Jacob I have preferred and Esau I have rejected. Why did God choose Jacob? Why did he turn the customs upside down? Why did he say Jacob is the one I'm going to put the blessing with, not Esau? Why? I think it's, what it's easy to do is say, well, there must have been a reason. He must have already known that Esau was going to be a godless man. He must have known he was going to marry foreign women. He must have known he was going to be a man of the sword. So he went ahead and chose Jacob because he knew all that. Certainly he did know all that because God knows everything. But is that why he did it? Look at Romans 9, 10 through 13. This is Paul uh, writing to, to the church at Rome. Now, the, the, the book of Romans is a book of doctrine. It's a great book. But chapters 9, 10, and 11 are a book within a book. It is Paul, 9, 10, and 11 is Paul writing to his countrymen. He's writing to the Jewish people. Because Paul's desire more than anything is they come to know Jesus as the Messiah. And that's what chapters 9, 10, and 13 are about. And what he has to get through to them is that, look, through Christ... I know we have Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, but now through Christ, all the families of the world have been blessed, including the Gentiles. That's me and you. We all have these promises now. But they couldn't accept that. They go, wait a minute. 
the prophets are from us. The scriptures are from us. This is not for the Gentiles. And Paul was pleading with them that that was not the case. And he writes this. He says, and not only this, but when Rebekah also had conceived by one man, even by our father Isaac, for the children not yet being born, having done, having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to the election might stand, not of works, but of him who calls. It was said to her, the older shall serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated. They hadn't done anything. They were in the womb. God was the one who said, I'm going to put the seed, the promises coming through Jacob. And so the question comes up is, does God choose? How does God choose? I don't know, folks. That's God's business. That's God's sovereignty. But does everybody come to faith in Jesus Christ? They don't. And so out of that came the doctrine of election. I simply want to read that to you. It says, election is God's choice of individuals to receive his favor before they've done anything good or bad. It's not a choice that's based on or in light of certain deeds or choices that we make, but it's based solely on God's sovereign grace. I don't know how it all works. I don't know why some respond to the call. I don't know why some the Holy Spirit seems to move on some and they respond and some just seem to completely reject it. I wish I did know. I don't know. But that's not our business. That's God's business. And what he's called us to do is just simply be obedient. He's called us to go out and be salt and light. He's called us to be witnesses to a world that's dying and to leave all of that stuff to him. It's imp- I enjoy talking about it. I enjoy even trying to figure it out. It'll take you all over the place. Those are the types of things I enjoy talking with people about. If they can talk about it without getting mad. Some people you cannot talk to them about it. They're going to get mad about it. Folks, it's a mystery of God. I can't understand it. But just because I, my little finite mind can't understand it doesn't mean that God is in any way wrong or God is in any way unjust. God is just. And he's not confused. He's not sitting up on his throne, biting his fingernails, saying, well, who who does the choosing? Do they choose me or do I choose them? How does this all work out? God's not doing that. He fully knows exactly what he's doing. And the thing for me and you, rather than me sitting here debating over this, you know, people will get in very spirited debates over this unnecessarily. The thing for me and you is to understand if you're sitting here this morning, and as I look about this congregation, I I believe every one of you here is redeemed of the Lord. And if you're not, you can be before you leave here. Rather than worrying about that stuff, what you need to say like I do is, God, why did you choose me? Why did you choose me? Why did I choose to respond to the gift, to the call? Why did you call me out of darkness into your glorious light? And he did. And there's some free will in there. And how does that all work? I don't know. But I know this. I know even as a young boy at East Durham Church of God, I felt the Holy Spirit gripping my heart. And I responded to that. And I don't know what your testimony is. But likelihood is you can point it back and say, I remember this. And I remember that. Rather than me worrying about how it happened is to say, God, you have saved me. And now you have called me to be a witness to you in a world that needs it. In a world that needs it. I found this from Compelling Truth. It said, It is not possible for finite creatures, man, to grasp the intricacies of God's infinite will. People have been discussing free will 
and sovereignty for ages and will continue to do so. Yet in the meantime, we must not forget that he's given us commands to follow. We are to take the gospel to the whole world. We are to turn away from sin and follow him. Forsaking this world, we are to love him, love our neighbors, our brothers, our enemies, and emulation of Christ. That I do know. How it all works, how salvation all works, those are mysteries of God. Those are his business. He knows what he's doing there. He's called us now to be salt and light in this lost and dying world. It was a divided family. It was a divided nation. There's a divided theology, but there's a sovereign God. And he's called all of us to come and trust in him and to follow him. I'm going to ask Matt and the team if they'll come forward. If you're here this morning and something's pulling at your spirit, something's pulling at your heart, this altar will be open shortly. Don't let your pride keep you away from it. God has called us all out of darkness into his glorious light. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your presence that's been in this house. Lord, we, there's many things about you we can't understand. But what we can understand, Lord, is when you reveal yourself to us and we respond, the joy that's in it. Lord, when we lay down our sin debt and pick up your righteousness. And I pray if there's one here today who has not done that, that before they leave this place today, God, they will surrender themselves to you. They'll come to know you as their Savior. We thank you for the spiritual heritage, Lord. We thank you for the Abrahams, the Isaacs, and the Jacobs. God, ordinary men that would be faithful to you through which you would come so that we could all be blessed, so we can all have access, God, to this forgiveness that you so freely give. I'm going to pause for a minute. This altar is open. If you'd like to come down and pray, if there's something you would like for someone to pray with you about, someone will meet you here. I'm going to ask everyone that will, let's stand.